the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you ready to get down to business? Join seasoned entrepreneur, community leader, and Army veteran Scott Shalom Klein, who will take you behind the scenes with those who work in America's small business scene and speak with leaders making an impact, creating jobs, and telling their story in entrepreneurship. So let's get down to business. On AM560, The Answer, here's your host, Shalom Klein. And indeed, we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts on my website at sykline.com. And while you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week. So let's get started. I'm thrilled to be joined by somebody who for over 30 years has been transforming business aspirations into reality. That's Richard Parker. And he's been garnering a remarkable global impact through his program, How to Buy a Good Business at a Great Price. This program, accompanied by tailored industry and country guides, boasts over 100,000 copies. That's right, 100,000 copies sold across 80 countries, empowering prospective small business owners, which is exactly what I want to talk about today. Richard Parker, welcome to the program. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely, Richard. I always like to start by getting to know the person behind the microphone. I know you have been a uh, self-described business junkie since childhood. I'd love to hear a little bit about you and your background. Where did this whole entrepreneurship bug get started? Um, it started very early on. I grew up in Montreal, spent 35 years there before relocating to uh, South Florida and always had businesses on the go since I'm a little kid. And I talk about a business junkie. I like to, uh, w- w- with comedy, say I started my first business at 12 and, and sold it profitably at 13. And um, I ended up getting into, I was working for a company in, in Montreal doing quite well. I made a horrible blunder and bought stock uh, stock on margin, another company, and pissed away $60,000 when I was 29 years old. I was doing very well. I was making $72,000 a year. And this goes back to 1989, 1990. But I desperately had to figure out a way how to get out of this mess. And even though I loved where I was working, I recognized that the only way I was going to be able to recapture some of that money, and I had a first child on the way, now four children and a grandchild, and realized that the only way I was going to get out of this mess was to go into a business in my of my own where I didn't have to where I didn't have any ceiling on my income, and that's what started my uh, journey of entrepreneurship and acquisitions. And here we are, a uh, whole bunch of years later, and I've bought and sold uh, fourteen companies, and uh, you know, with a, a, a wide range from fifty thousand dollars to a little over two hundred million dollars, and and I've spent the last twenty years actually helping people do, hopefully, do exactly what I've been able to accomplish. I love it. Again, chatting with Richard Parker. And Richard, uh, I've, I'm have i going to pick your brain on a lot of uh, topics relating to entrepreneurship, but I want to start, uh, in as I mentioned in the intro, you run a program called How to Buy a Good Business at a Great Price. And that's what, indeed, every entrepreneur wants to do. So let's start there. You know, you have the option of building a business or you have the option of buying a business, which is something that you have done. Why have you taken that approach? 
Well, very early on when I made my first acquisition, again, it was a very small acquisition based upon the scenario I told you about when I was getting into my own business. And after I started, within very short order, I'm talking within six, nine months, I realized that in order to grow my business, I could do it organically, which was interesting and romantic, if you will, but recognize that, you know, that a much quicker path would be if I could keep buying businesses and bolt them on to my existing businesses, I could scale my company much quicker than doing it organically. I'm not opposed to startups. I, I mean, I don't have the stomach to do them anymore. I think if you've got um, uh, lots of time and lots of money and you want to do a startup or on a part-time basis, a side hustle, it's, it's, it's a good experience. But as far as getting into true entrepreneurship is concerned, you know, the, the problem with a startup is you don't know anything. Everything sounds wonderful, but nothing is proven. It's all blue sky. And in my experience, you know, revenues always come in twice as slow and expenses are double. And you, it's, it's very easy to say all these wonderful things are going to happen, but nothing is proven. Whereas if you buy an existing business, a good business, and I don't talk about buying garbage businesses or distressed businesses, and I don't buy, talk about buying great business. I talk about buying good businesses that are in the middle of their history there. You have lots of room and lots of runway to grow them. But if you buy a good business... I mean, in theory, when you do it right and do it the way I show people how to do it, you can get the keys to the place on Monday and take a paycheck on Friday. Everything is in place. You have customers, you have employees, you have suppliers, you have infrastructure. So you have something, a rock solid foundation upon which to build, which in a startup, you have none of that. Absolutely. So we've talked about the importance of buying. So there's three important words in that little phrase that you have, how to buy a good business at a great price. We talked about buying, talked about a good business. Do you mind defining that a little bit more? What is a good business in 2024? Well, as far as a, a, a good business is 2024 is the same what was a good business in, in um, 1924, which is a solid business that has fundamentals in place of which you can apply your best skill set to that business to grow the business. It's I like bland, boring, unsexy businesses that can grow when you match your right your top skill set to a business that needs that particular skill set to drive the revenue and profits of the business. There's the the type of business is less important than the skill set of the individual who's looking to acquire it to make sure they marry it with the right business. If your strength is sales and marketing, you have to, yeah, you have to acquire a business that needs sales and marketing to drive the revenue and profits. If it's operations or manufacturing or assembling a plan or logistics, that's what's really important. The type of business in my view anyways, from where I sit is far less important because I've seen it repeatedly where people have tried to go into the bus a business that they thought they would love or they had a, if you will, a passion about, which was more of a hobby. And they end up screwing it up because the, what that business needs as the driver of the business doesn't marry to their skill set. Absolutely. So we talked about buying, we talked about the good business, and now I want to get to the secret over here, the great business. And I don't want to share all the secrets because, of course, we're going to get our listeners in touch with you, but, but a great price, a great price. Is that still possible? Oh, 100%. And I'm, by the way, Shalom, I'm happy to share all the secrets. I got no, that, that's not, <laughs> no problem. Um, it's, of course it's possible as long as you know how to do this. See, a lot of, a lot of people, the numbers in our industry are terrible, meaning, 
Over 90% of the people who begin the search to buy business never complete a, tra- a transaction because they're, they have no knowledge, they have no expertise, they have no experience, they have no track record, and they try to go about doing this thinking that this is similar to buying a house or a property, and it's completely different. You need know-how, you need knowledge, and you need to ramp up your expertise quickly to, in order to do this successfully. But as far as buying at a great price, absolutely. 91% of our clients do this through seller financing. There is some capital that's required. I never would mislead people to think that this concept... You see some of these programs that are shown online, these BS programs that people are promoting to buy these phenomenal businesses for no money down and get a hundred years to pay for them. That doesn't exist. I, I, I live in the real world and I, I breathe oxygen from this planet. But nine, again, as I mentioned, 91% of our clients leverage these deals through seller financing. It takes a little bit of capital because you need some down payment, but terms, conditions, we... I'm very much of the ilk that, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Business Owner, I'll pay your price, you take my terms. And I've had transactions where I've taken, you know, I've had 30-year notes to pay them out. So there's absolutely no question, I apologize for the long-winded answer, but yes, there's absolutely no question that buying a good business at a great price is is now probably more achievable than ever because interest rates have gone um, much higher at the bank. And so that, that route very often is not a possibility for prospective business owners. They have to go down the road of, of terms and conditions with the seller, which require, you know, very often are performance-based deals, which we show people how to do earnouts, which the, the price is paid based on the, the business achieving certain milestones over a certain period of time after they take over. So yes, absolutely. The, the great price piece absolutely hasn't changed. As a matter of fact, I think it's gotten much better now. And I think it's, it's probably the best time in the last three decades to buy a business because of some of those components. I love it. I've been chatting with Richard Parker, who again is the uh, is the founder of the Business Buyer Resource Center and the author of the How to Buy a Good Business at a Great Price series. Of course, we're going to get all of our listeners in touch with you, Richard. And I have to say that while we've been talking, producer George and I have been engaged in a conversation and we see your energy. We hear your energy more appropriately over the radio. You've been doing this for a while, for 30 plus years, but your excitement remains, which is fantastic. And we only have time for one more question. Richard, not every day day in small business and entrepreneurship is rainbows and butterflies. We know that uh, wearing that hat, that very, very important title of entrepreneur, some days has its challenges. What's the most frustrating part of business ownership? And do you have any tips for our listeners? Yes, you know what? And, and I use this term pixie dust and unicorns. unicorns and, so, and also, I appreciate your compliments related to my energy because as my mother said, or Henny Youngman said, I have a great face for radio. But the challenge is what, what has to happen is there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, there's going to be peaks, there's going to be valleys. It's part of the equation. I, the way I try to um, position this with entrepreneurs is love the process and the process will love you back. Meaning you're going to go through all these things. There, there is heartburn and it's just inevitable. But if you learn to embrace the uncertainty, if you learn to embrace the challenges, because you're going to come out of the other side so much better, so much bigger, so much faster. To me, those are all the thrilling things of being an entrepreneur. Like to me, going to a job every day is just boring as hell. But as an entrepreneur, the peaks and the valleys, you just have to learn to love them and embrace them. Because if you um, approach them in a good way and um, with content and perspective, you're going to come out on the other side in it. a very positive way. I love it. It's awesome advice. And I know you've got a lot more where this came from. And I want to make sure our listeners can get in touch with you, Richard Parker. How can they do that? 
Very easy. Go to richardparker.com. We have hundreds of free articles, free reports. And if anybody wants to get in touch with me directly, they can do that through our contact us page. So it's pretty simple. Richardparker.com. Richardparker.com. And we'll link in our show notes as well. Richard, can't wait to have you back on a quick break and get down to business. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I've been looking forward to this conversation for many weeks now. I'm thrilled to be joined by the author of a new book. Not so new, but we don't want you, Uncle Sam. Examining the military recruiting crisis with Generation Z, and that's Matthew Weiss. Um, I actually heard Matt on a uh, on a podcast myself, and I was blown away with some of the uh, some of the ideas that have been raised, which touches on service, which really touches on a foundational question for all the entrepreneurs and business owners that are tuning in today. Matthew Weiss, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your background. You are in the service yourself, so thank you for that. Um, let's let's talk about your background. Why did you join the United States Marine Corps, and uh, and tell us about uh, how that led you to writing this book? I started off uh, by joining the Marine Corps just two years ago, and I went through the recruiting process. I'm a, I'm a Gen Zer, you know, youngest ages in the Marine Corps. And I knew that we were having this massive recruiting crisis. But on TV, they would always have these generals and admirals and people that were recruited 30 years ago speaking on the news about how to solve it. And so I wanted to give a young Gen Z perspective on this and figure out how to solve it from that way. Absolutely. And uh, again, uh, you coming into the service being Gen Z, uh, it's uh, it's interesting. You come with a unique perspective. So let's start there. What is fundamentally the uh, the conversation that's taking place across Gen Z about uh, around military service. And we're going to sort of stretch that and talk a little bit about just Gen Z in general. Yeah. So a lot of industries, frankly, are suffering recruiting crises. It's magnified w- w- with our generation. It's magnified in the military because we require some of the largest amounts of labor around. And we constantly are turning over in the military. It's a, it's a young person's game, if you can call it. So we really need that young labor. And so what's going on is, frankly, a knowledge, trust, and identity gap. There's less Gen Zers know about the military and what goes on in the military. There's massive trust issues. We've seen unfortunate instances of breaches of trust in the past uh, two decades with the Iraq and Afghanistan fighting and the way some of our service members have been treated. And there's identity. It's does the modern Gen Zer that has an Instagram and TikTok really see themselves putting on a uniform, going to boot camp, not having social media, phone, or contact for X amount of weeks, and becoming a member of the armed forces? And those three gaps are what we're really struggling with right now. Absolutely. And so we know it's been a, a long time um, since we've had the all volunteer force. Do you see a, a time and place that that goes away? That's what I'm trying to prevent. I think, to be honest, and this isn't maybe in the public, but it's certainly in our circles, for the first time ever, we're looking at potentially having the recall of a, of a draft where we don't have enough people. And and I believe in the AVF. I, it's been around for 50 years since the end of Vietnam. It served us well. I want to fight for the concept of the AVF, and I think we can keep that if we change the level of propensity, how many Gen Zers truly desire to serve I think that's where we should focus our efforts. 
Again, I'm chatting with the author of a book came out just a few months ago. Uh, it's called We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam, Examining the Military Recruiting Crisis of Generation Z. That's Matthew Weiss. Matthew, um, I want to talk a little bit more about Gen Z and some of the things that do motivate, um, again, your generation. You are a part of it. Um, what are some of the things that, that you think a Gen Z is looking for that the military is just not offering? And I know you've already touched on um, just the lack of understanding and awareness. Yeah, the military, what we have, what's our fundamental value proposition, if you want to look at it from a business perspective, is that it's the greatest physical social network that exists. The bonds you create in service going through hard times together, coming from all different parts of the country are simply better than any other. It's not a job. It's a, it's a lifestyle. You're living together, eating together, doing these very extreme things together. That is the world's greatest physical social network. So for a depressed and anxious generation, and the data shows that our generation truly is more depressed and anxious than any other generation before, we can debate if that's because of social media and electronics or not. Regardless, that, that's who we are. We strive for connection. We strive for social connection. The, the physical social network of the military is, is the strongest, and that's really what the fundamental value prop is, and that's what we have to really push and explain to Gen Zers who are looking for connection, looking for something more. Absolutely. So obviously, part of it is the uh, is the communication um, and explanation, and maybe that does not come uh, best represented by a uh, by an admiral or a general officer. Sometimes it's going to come from again a young officer like yourself, um, which I think it's fantastic that you've been so open. And again, that's where I actually connected with you was uh, you you've certainly made quite the impact, which is very very impressive. Um, but you also pose a number of ideas, and we don't want you, Uncle Sam this new book. What are some of the highlights that you'd like to share with our listeners? I'll give a bunch and I'll start off with the, the basic one that's really a mindset shift and it it impacts business as well. I, I worked I had the opportunity to work at a very fast growing technology company, one of the, the biggest unicorns around. And we had an implicit task that all of us were going to act as recruiters. Meaning A, there were legitimate referral bonuses at one point, so that, that was an incentive. But B Oh, I went to college with this really smart engineer. Let me tell him about my company. Oh, I know this person who's working on this or is ready to switch job. Let me tell him about my company, right? It was, it was, we were so proud of where we were working. It was almost an implicit task. And that was the mindset. Even though there was a recruiting HR org, like we were still had that mindset. What the military doesn't have and what a lot of businesses don't have is they, they outsource recruiting either to literally an outsourced organization or in the military, it's a whole recruiting command. And those people work extremely hard. I have massive respect for recruiters. I'm not um, denigrating their efforts in any way, but they'd be boosted and buoyed if the entire Gen Z population of the military and of any company also was recruiting. So it's important to inculcate a key recruiting mindset from the CEO level or the commanding officer level all the way down. And so the big mantra, the big call to, to, to action here is that every Gen Z service member, like myself included, should be required to do certain recruiting initiatives throughout the year. It could be as small as maybe I have to call one person back at my high school and explain what I do in the military, or as big as, you know, one week a year, I actually go back to some town and, you know, actually actively recruit us or, or support recruiters, right? So, you know, I, I don't want to be too prescriptive. I'll let the actual experts figure out what the, the policy is, but we need to have the mindset shift that we are responsible for recruiting. That's a major, major shift and a major initiative. I got a bunch of others, 21 that I can talk about. So happy to take a minute away. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know you've got a lot of uh, a lot of great uh, ideas, and frankly, you pose a lot of questions, and you don't say that you have all the answers, but there's a lot of ideas that you are uh, putting out on the table. And I have to say, it's been very impressive to see how receptive the various commands, um, the branches of the military have been, because everybody understands that this is a severe challenge, and we love the all-volunteer force, um, which is absolutely, uh, again, it, it says so much. And I know, without getting too political, I know that there have been in uh, recent presidential elections folks that have talked about, again, that year of service. You and I both know that in Israel, it's called Sheirut Lulmi, which is that national year of service. Um, and uh, again, it's not necessarily about going to the military, but it is that idea of I finding yourself and figuring out who you are before you go to college and accumulate so much debt. That would be a much longer conversation. But Matt, um, in the minute or so that we have remaining, I want to stretch this conversation and just talk overall about business and entrepreneurs that might be tuning in um, and how you think they can reach and connect with Gen Z to expose them to the many opportunities that, uh, that are available in their respective industries. Yeah, so trust and transparency are key. And I'll echo, you know, I had a, the fabulous opportunity to go to one of our country's finest business schools. And I'll never forget when uh, we had a very famous speaker come in and explain literally the CEO should spend 40% of their time recruiting. The people are in most organizations, especially technology companies, startups, entrepreneurial companies, people are everything. It's more important than, than literally probably any other task. And 40% of your time, is that seems like a crazy amount. But if you think about it, the actual executive it's actually probably the best investment they can make, right? If they're investing in their future people, investing in their people. So I think approaching Gen Z with true trust and transparency has to be the, the mantra. And what I mean by that, I mean that Gen Z is so used to fake ads online. I mean, we know Amazon is listening. And if we mention paper, paper comes up as an ad that a true honest conversation that someone could have and sort of explain, hey, this is why you should work for this company. This is why you're going to have an amazing experience. That's something that will never scale. Absolutely. It will never scale. It cannot scale. Recruiting is not a scalable act. Do things that don't scale. That was one of the mantras of Silicon Valley for a while. Recruiting from the CEO level will never scale, but it's probably the highest ROI thing you can do. If you sit well, down with a young college hire, that's the way to do it. Absolutely. Matthew Weiss, I could talk to you for hours, my friend, and I look forward to having you back on the program because you've got a lot of great ideas. I want to make sure our listeners can find your book. How can they do that? Uh, it's honestly on Amazon. We don't want you, Uncle Sam, examining the rec military recruiting crisis with Gen Z or www.unclesambook.org. Fantastic. Congratulations on an amazing book. And I look forward to bringing you back on a quick break and get down to business. We'll be right back. Back and get down to business with one of my favorites, a returning guest. That's Paul Saplinski, who has founded Integrated Document Technologies, also known as IDT, in 1992. He's the CEO and founder, and he continues to guide IDT's overall vision and direction as an organization. Paul, welcome back to the program. Happy New Year. Awesome, Scott. Thank you so much for having me here back on your show. I appreciate it. And Happy New Year to you as well. Absolutely. We were just joking that you could say Happy New Year for uh, for until the end of February. So we'll go with it. Paul, you and your company have been up to awesome stuff and really wanted to use this opportunity to, uh, to educate our listeners. Uh, you're obviously bread and butter. Document scanning. Let's talk about it. What's new and exciting in 2024? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's been an exciting last couple of years, you know, with with all the COVID stuff that had gone on, and uh, businesses coming to realize that all that paper that they've had locked up in their file cabinets 
Um, didn't do them real, uh, a whole lot because uh, they couldn't get to it. So we've been working a lot with um, middle market, uh, mid-sized businesses, and even the enterprise uh, organizations as well, just helping them go through that digital transformation process and taking that paper, turning it into a digital asset, memorializing it into a repository that they can get to on a 24-7 uh, schedule, you know, anywhere, anytime, any place, uh, being able to access their important documents. And uh, so that's been an exciting journey for us and our customers to see them go through that digital transformation process. Absolutely. And again, you continue to innovate. And I know you've got an just an awesome uh, team behind you at IDT. Um, your motto is putting paper in its place. And uh, while you certainly are all about technology, again, uh, I know it's an amazing team that continues to each and every day think of, again, how can they service the customers and come up with new and innovative solutions? And that's where I want to go to next in this conversation. It's not just the document scanning, um, but it's actually IOT. I- IoT. So what does that mean? What, why is that important for our listeners? Uh, great question, Scott. It's the Internet of Things, and we're all kind of accustomed to it and hear about it in the retail world. Uh, we can buy our security systems and um, you know technology like Alexa and things like that. That's all IoT. We, it's the consumer brand type of uh, technology. What we have done is we've taken the IoT world and brought it to the B2B community, the business to business. And uh, we've packaged a scanner um, and it has uh, internet of things technology embedded in it, which makes it very secure. Um, It's resilient from malware and uh, uh, ransomware type of attacks uh, because it doesn't require a PC to operate it. It's a self-contained unit. And we take this to a customer or we ship it to a customer and we configure a barcode. uh, Actually, it's a QR code that is unique to them. It's encrypted. And when they take the unit out of the box, which is about a five-minute process uh, from the time you receive the equipment, you take it out of the box, you unpackage it, you perform some light assembly, you plug the power cord in, assuming it's Wi-Fi. We also do hardwire type connection. Uh, You drop that QR code into the scanner and it provisions it. And so in five minutes or less, our customers are ready to begin capturing their content um, wherever their office may be located. And it doesn't require us to go out to the customer site to have to do any installation or configuration. The secret sauce, if you will, is all configured in that encrypted QR code. So anybody can take the equipment out of the box and have that five-minute or less experience. It doesn't require IT uh, for the most part. Sometimes we will run into some firewall issues or things like that. We'll work through those. But for the most part, if you have a Wi-Fi hotspot, such as your cell phone, it could be something as simple as that. You can easily enable your organization to begin capturing their documents using this simple, easy-to-use IoT interface. It's called IoT Smart Connected Scanning. Absolutely. Again, IoT, uh, again, another great uh, service and resource from IDT, putting paper in its place. And of course, we'll uh, we'll share the website and contact information with all of our listeners in a moment. And it's important to note that, again, uh, industries are all unique. Again, the medical industry certainly has different uh, criteria and requirements. And again, sometimes maybe using some uh, legacy systems like fax systems and so on. And I know that mm-hmm. you've got solutions for absolutely everybody to tie in. So, Again, best way to learn more is to get in touch with Paul and his amazing team. But Paul and his amazing team are involved behind the scenes in some really 
great stuff in the community. And that's where you and I initially connected. Paul, let's uh, briefly end on that note. What, uh, what work are you doing in the community relations realm? Oh, you bet. Thanks, Scott, for asking that. Um, so we, we've hooked up with an organization out of St. Charles. It's called Promise or Pantry Promise Ministries. And uh, you can find them online at um, pantrypromiseministry.com. And what this organization does, uh, they, they've kind of jumped into uh, the foray of being able to help needy families with um, providing food for them at a, at a no-cost uh, environment. And we all know what's been going on in the economy. The prices of food are outrageous. I remember going to Jewel and buying a bag of groceries I'd normally spent 30 to $40 on, and now they cost me almost $90. So, you know, if I'm feeling that, you know, uh, somebody as a business owner, I can't imagine what the lower income, lower middle class are feeling. And uh, this particular organization helps those families. That's why we love you guys. You guys are doing great, uh, of course, technology, putting paper in its place, but also, again, supporting community in such great ways. Paul Splinsky, how can we get in touch with you and your team? Ready for the number four IDT.com. That's ready, the number four IDT.com. Or 630-875-1100. 630-875-1100. Fantastic. Balsam Litsky, thank you so much. We look forward to having you back on real soon. Quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. We've got a uh, quite a treat in store for you. Uh, I've been planning this interview for a while. I'm thrilled to be joined by Major Major General Retired Greg Martin, Dr. Martin as well. He has a PhD. Quite an impressive uh, background and resume, as you'll hear about over the next few minutes. General Martin is a combat veteran, a bipolar survivor, an airborne ranger, engineer, qualified soldier, and an army strategist who served on active duty for 36 years until May 2015. General Martin, sir, uh, it's an honor to have you on. Thank you for your service and thank you for uh, joining us on the program. Well, thank you, Scott. It's really an honor to be on with you. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to the conversation. I know you have a uh, PhD, two master's degrees from uh, MIT, master's degrees in national security strategy from both the Army and the Naval War College, bachelor's degree from West Point. So uh, you certainly have uh, quite the background. Um, Let's talk about you. Let's talk about your background, your experience, what led you into the Army, and maybe we'll get into a little bit of what led you out of the Army, if that's okay with you. Sure. Um, What led me into the Army was I came from a a family with a strong military tradition. So my dad was a veteran, all my uncles were vets, and I just figured at some point I'm going to join the military and serve. Um, And then when it came time (coughs) to apply for college, I thought that the best college for the best price that I could find were the service academies. And so I applied and got accepted at West Point, and I went into West Point and then the Army um, really for the adventure, the education, the people, um, the, the, the fun, the danger, the excitement of the whole experience. So that's what led me in. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure you got all of those things and so much more. Um, did you ever think that you'd rise to the rank of a two-star general? No, never. Um, when I got promoted from first lieutenant to captain, I thought that was the apex of my career. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, look at that. It's, it's incredible. Uh, you, uh, you are an engineer. Um, I know you served in the uh, Army Corps of Engineers. You, you were the special assistant to the chief of engineers, um, working uh, Corps, for, 
future posture for 2025 and beyond. So it's uh, it must be pretty exciting for you to now look from the outside. I believe you retired in uh, in Cocoa Beach, Florida, with your uh, with your uh, fantastic family. I know um, several of which uh, have served themselves. Uh, your wife is an army brat, um, which uh, they all deserve so 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 much credit, um, which is great. And now you get to watch uh, certainly those that you mentored, but also some of the work that you put in, uh, which is pretty exciting. So I, again, I want to stick on the, uh, we, we talked about what led you into the army. I want to talk about your time in the service. Uh, your resume is far too lengthy to go in uh, to detail in this conversation, but uh, tell us a little bit about some of the highlights of, of your career, um, because we love to talk about service on this program. Well, um, Going to West Point was a real highlight. And of course, those four years were actually active duty time. So if you add them in, I was really in for active duty for 40 years, 4-0. Army Ranger School was a thrill, got to do that. Then I I had a phenomenal time as a junior officer, as a platoon leader in charge of 30 soldiers, company commander in charge of about 150, and then on up the the ladder, um, all the way, you know, battalion commander, brigade commander, one and then two-star general. Um, so it was a tremendous experience. Uh, I had a huge advantage in that um, I was born with a bipolar brain and I lived on the bipolar spectrum, which gave me extra energy, enthusiasm, drive, and it really enhanced my performance for years and decades until it went too high and then it brought me crashing down and nearly killed me. Absolutely. And that's where I want to go now. Uh, I know you served as the uh, president of the National Defense University, and that's an incredible prestigious assignment. So what was that moment where, again, what was an advantage turned into a disadvantage for you? Well, there wasn't a particular moment. It was more of a gradual change. My onset of bipolar disorder was in 2003 during the Iraq War. And that's when I actually went into a state of mania And then for the next 12 years, I started going into higher levels of mania, deeper levels of depression, and then psychosis came into my brain, which are hallucinations and delusions. So during this time, my conditions were unknown, unrecognized, undiagnosed. But by 2014, I had gone into what they call full-blown mania, which is a state of madness or insanity. So I went completely off the rails, over the top, out of control. Um, reckless. I could, you know, go into great detail like I do in my book. But that led to people finally realizing, hey, there's something wrong with General Martin. And so what they did is they wrote dozens of anonymous letters to my boss, who was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Dempsey. And they said, hey, you know, we don't know what's wrong with General Martin, but here are some of the things we're seeing and we're really concerned. So General Dempsey did an assessment, an investigation, and I got a call on a Friday saying, report to the chairman's office Monday morning at 10. So I went into his office. He strode across the office, gave me a big hug, and he said, Greg, I love you like a brother. You've done an incredible job. I give you an A+, but your time at NDU is over. You have until 5 p.m. today to resign or you're fired, and I'm ordering you to get a mental health evaluation at Walter Reed. So essentially, that was the end of my career. I was, in essence, fired. I was forced to retire early. And then months months later, I was admitted to a VA hospital uh, in a locked psychiatric ward for hospitalization. What an incredible story. And we're going to have the opportunity to continue this conversation. Um, But again, I'm chatting with Major General Retired 
Greg Martin, um, who served on active duty for 36 years, um, but again, uh, a, a graduate from West Point, quite an impressive background. He wrote an incredible book, um, which you can find out more details at generalgregmartin.com. Greg with two G's, G-R-E-G-G martin.com. We're going to continue our conversation with General Martin in just a moment. When we return, we're going to talk all about the bipolar general. You're listening to Get Down to Business. You can always get on my website, sykline.com. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Get Down to Business. We'll be right back. We're back on Get Down to Business, the show all about small business shops and entrepreneurship. I'm chatting with the author of a book. It's called Bipolar General, My Forever War with Mental Illness. It was published in September 2023 by Major General Retired Greg Martin, who's continuing our conversation with him right now. Again, sir, thank you again. So we were just talking in the conversation about uh, your uh, forced resignation in front of the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, was that a surprise to you? Yes, it was, because I had been in good uh, communication with General Dempsey all along, and the feedback on the job I was doing was extremely positive, and we had a wonderful relationship. I had worked for him several times, but I will say this. General Dempsey is a great leader. He made exactly the right decision by getting me out of there. He probably saved my life. Uh, he probably saved me from a heart attack or a stroke, and he probably saved my marriage. So I, I really applaud his decision and thank him for what he did. Absolutely. It's incredible. And and the reason you wrote this book is obviously you were telling you were telling the story and you're very open and candid about it right now. So we are talking on this program with business owners, entrepreneurs. Um, certainly, I, I hope that we've inspired folks with your service. I'm always all about encouraging folks to serve in some way, whether it's in uniform or not. Hopefully, people hear your story and we'll get to your website, which we'll again, we'll send our listeners to in a couple of minutes. But why did you write this book? Why is it important that people hear the story of the Bible? general? It's important because it could save their life. And not only the individual person reading the book, but members of their family, friends, work colleagues, people that they love. Because the book shares my in-depth experience going through a brutal bout with a deadly disease called bipolar disorder. And I lay it out. I don't pull any punches. I tell absolute truth. And so that knowledge and experience can be transferred to others and literally save their lives. I want to go to the other side of it too. There, uh, I'll call it what it is. There have been a, there's been a stigma. There's been a stigma around mental health. And I, I think that's starting to change now. But as you've been having these conversations, um, what's the reaction that you've had? Are, are people do, are people surprised that you're willing to talk so openly about your challenges? Yes, they are surprised, but the reaction is extremely positive, enthusiastic, and encouraging. But what you just said, the stigma is the biggest barrier to people going and getting help. And the stigma around mental illness is based on fear and ignorance. It makes no sense. There's no stigma surrounding cancer or diabetes because they're physical illnesses. But so too is bipolar disorder and other mental illness. They're physical in the biology of the brain. So it's completely illogical and unscientific to have any kind of a stigma surrounding this issue. 
Absolutely. And again, as mentioned earlier in the program, you have not been, uh, you've not been persevering through this on your own. Your wife is an army brat and a heroine for uh, persevering through this, both your career in general, but also surviving and overcoming, again, this bipolar ordeal, uh, which I know you've described as the toughest fight of your lives, um, which is saying a lot because you've commanded in combat. Um, again, the book, uh, Bipolar General, My Forever War with Mental Illness, came out a few months ago. I am honored and excited to have you you on this program. And I want to make sure we've only touched on the surface of the, your story and some of the lessons there, uh, which involve, uh, again, um, your story of battling bipolar disorder, which is saving lives and stopping the stigma. But uh, again, Dr. Martin, Major General Retired, Greg Martin, how can people get in touch with you and uh, pick up a copy of the book? Uh, they can get in touch with me through the website, um, which you gave already. But a, a simpler one is www bipolargeneral.com. And you can connect with me on email through the website, which has tons of great information. Uh, the way to get the book, you can get it anywhere books are sold. Probably the simplest way is to go to the Amazon site and just click and order it there. Or you can go to my website and on the landing page, there's three different sources to, to buy the book, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and the Naval Press. Fantastic. General Martin, thank you so much for joining us on the program and telling your story. We'll link in the show notes as well. That's a wrap for us here on Get Down to Business. To success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday right here. Have a great week. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.